0: You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au.
1: 98 is today's reading, and it's on page 526 of the Pew Bible. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. The Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant, shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lair, with the lair and melodious song, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the right, he will judge the word righteously and the peoples fairly. This is the word of the Lord.
0: All right, I just want to begin by um, asking you to give a round of applause to our musos who have been serving us uh, in song. So. That was just so beautifully mediocre. It was, it was great, and, 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 and I expected it to be. And it's not your fault. It's not, <laughs> it's not your fault. Um, uh, it's my fault, because, um, because what I've just done there is demonstrate what happens when we, uh, when I call you to praise something and don't give you much reason to do it, right? Um, just saying to you, give a round of applause to people who have been serving us, will elicit some kind of response, mainly because I'm the guy at the front with the microphone and I told you to do something, partially because you actually feel kind of grateful. But, but let's try this again, all right? So I want to, if you have served on our music team, singing, um, instruments, AV, anyone who has done any, anything in that ministry, can you just... Actually, don't just stand up. Come, come right up the front here so we can get a good look at you come Phil that's you Josh yep Joe India you've let us in a, a few songs you're not coming up John
1: Hargrave helped on the desk John Hargrave has helped on the Yeah desk. you've helped
0: on the desk John what are you doing All right is this all We're Small, small We're missing you. know. Yeah we've we've yeah. lost a few this past year to be honest Um, Now, listen, these guys, these talented musicians and technicians um, are people who love to serve you guys. They turn up about two hours before you do every Sunday when you're you're still asleep in your beds. Um, They are here practicing, and not just practicing because they want to perform, but they are kind of like uh, calibrating their hearts to be able to lead you in worship. They are praying ahead of time. They are, throughout the week, we're chatting about the songs that they're gonna sing and they're gonna be praying through those songs and thinking about how to sing and how to um, lead us in a way that will connect with you. They have been here all throughout lockdown. They were doing terrible Zoom worship, you know, like playing an acoustic guitar down a bad internet connection. Uh, They were here when we were uh, live streaming and only five people were allowed in the building. They were showing up every time. They had to get clearance from the government just to be in the building. And they have continued to serve you. Through Christmas, when you guys were all off uh, at barbecues and not turning up to church, they were here leading us (laughs) in song. And so, so the point is, these guys are not just gifted they are invested they're invested in you as people and they love to serve you for god's glory and really for your good so can we please give them a round of applause Praise God. All right, you can take a seat now that I've used you to make a point. I, re- I really meant all that I said, by the way. This, that wasn't rhetorical. It was true. Not but Say again? Another two, two hours before? Well, it depends. It depends. Uh, yeah, so listen. um r- It makes a difference to us if we're going to prepare ourselves to express gratitude. It makes a difference to us if we have been given reason to give thanks. If we're mindful and cognizant of the reasons that we ought to have to give thanks to whoever it might be, the musos, um, the, uh, the girl that serves you at Baker's Delight, or God himself. And so... One of the things that this psalm does for us here today, and this is like the really just the one big idea I have, is this psalm gives us reasons to praise God. Just over and over and over again, reasons, evidence that should trigger in the person who loves God, it it triggers a kind of pathway or a conduit for praise. So every week here, we do what we call the, the call to worship. And it's, it's, it's the thing that the, 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 the man or the woman does right at the beginning of the service where they stand up here and say, we're here to worship God. And then they will give you a little bit of, of, of like material to work with, some evidence for why we ought to be um, feeling in a... in in a mood of gratitude, right? Or or in a disposition of thanksgiving. And where we do it badly and where we fail you is when we just stand up here and say something like, there's a couple of ways we do it wrong, okay? Um, One of them is uh, there are all kinds of different people here today and people are coming in with different experiences of the week and some are happy and some are sad. So on that basis, if you feel like it, stand up and sing. Now, the person is doing that because they love you, they care about you, they're conscious that every week there are people here who don't, wouldn't call themselves followers of Jesus, maybe don't believe the things that we believe. We don't want them to sing words that they don't believe if they don't, but, but, but here's where it falls down. Whenever we say to you, praise God, if you feel like it, you will always do two things. You will look inwardly, which is like the antidote for worship, if you want to get out of a worshipful you know, thanks, mood of thanksgiving, just think about yourself. It's like the antidote, right? Um, and you'll always find at least one, if not a dozen reasons why you don't feel like praising God today. This psalmist doesn't do that. He just says, sing. And I think he does it for our benefit because he knows if, you, if he gives you the opportunity to check inwardly, then he's lost you. But when the object of our worship is God and nothing else, when it's not about me but about him, then suddenly I'm actually able to exercise some of this gratitude and thanksgiving. I told you that story just a couple of weeks ago of the the pastor, um, Francis Chan, and he used to run this big church. And after the service one day, someone came to him and said, I didn't really like worship today. And his response was, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. Right, that is, that, that's the point. We can get super nitpicky about the worship when we think it's about us. And we can find all kinds of reasons not to worship when we focus on our interior life. Thankfully, a thousand years BC, people were far less interested in how they were doing. But we've got that cross to bear, just, it's just the way our culture works. Another way that we kind of do this wrong is by just standing up and saying, uh, we're going to stand and sing. And, And the sort of unwritten rule for that is, well, it's the start of the service and that's what we do every week. And so we just expect you to walk in From the big argument you had with your wife in the car park about whatever thing you did wrong yesterday, and just walk into this place and magically be transformed into this creature of worship, just on a hair trigger to worship the Lord. And all you need to hear is stand and sing, and you'll be right in the middle of it. And that's just not how things work either, right? Not in the real world. Psalmist doesn't do that, he doesn't say sing because it's time to sing now. He says, sing four, and then he gives us the rest. And that's what I want to look at this morning, the four stuff. And he, and very helpfully for us, um, and those of us who really like a bit of symmetry in their life, uh, he's given us like three groups of three verses. And it's simply this. He looks at reasons to praise God from the past, reasons in the present, and reasons in the future, and we're just going to swap it around a little bit. I'm going to go past, future, and then back to present, and then we'll be done, and hopefully you'll have some really good reasons to turn up next week. No, forget that. It's really good reasons to stand up when I'm done and praise God in spirit and in truth. So first of all, let's look at the past, reasons from the past that he gives, all right? verse. i I'm going to get rid of this. It's really rickety. All right reasons from the past verse 1 to 3 of psalm 98 let me read it for you actually i'll just read the first two it says I sing a new song to the lord for ah thank you for he has performed wonders his right hand and holy arm have won him victory the lord has made his victory known he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations four. He wants you to praise God for good reasons. He's calling the people of Israel there, gathered together, ready to worship the, the God of Israel there in their midst, right, surrounding the very presence of God. It's not enough just to be there and to be one of those people. He gives them reasons to praise, and so he gives them history Remember what God has done. I love that he doesn't get overly specific. He's just like, you know our God? He's done lots of good stuff, hasn't he? He's performed wonders. Some of their minds would have gone to the Exodus. God leading them out of bondage in Israel, through the Red Sea, all of those wonders, fire and cloud, amazing wonders. Others would have just gone to the, the birth of their newborn daughter, right? Like, it's, it applies to so many things in our lives. God has done wonderful things. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. God is always battling for or working towards victory, and for him, victory is goodness, righteousness, blessing, He's constantly winning victories of goodness. So here's here's where this can work for us. You turn up to church. You're, I don't know, you're hungover or you're just feeling dry. You You just have not been connecting with God for a long time. You have conflict in your family. You've got all these reasons to feel like you are just not in a place to worship God together this morning. The first thing you can do is say, what has God done? I've got one friend who does this all of the time. It's almost annoying how how repetitive it is, except that it's so good. When I'm speaking to him and I'm going off on this tear about all that's wrong in my life, he will simply say, what has God done? And suddenly I'm pulled out from the kind of cesspool of my own emotions and I'm thinking about the objective goodness of God and the objective truth about the things he has done. My mind might go to the Exodus as well, or just the goodness of God in creation, or Jesus hanging on a cross for my sake. Or I might go to yesterday, to the scotch fillet steak I ate. What has God done? What kind of reasons and evidence can you accumulate for the case for thanksgiving, praise, gratitude. The beautiful thing about this, by the way, and this is, is born out in just secular research, this is not a Christian thing, this is a human being thing. What the research reveals is the more you practice gratitude, the better you get at gratitude, and the, the, in, there, is an, there is a measurable increase in general well-being. For anyone... I just think that that is exponentially maximized for the Christian. Yeah. What has God done? What reasons do you have, even reasons that maybe you've partially buried or that have been buried under grief and pain and hurt? What reasons do you have to worship God the Lord, to sing a new song to the Lord. He goes on in verse 3. Look at it with me. This is one of the major reasons the Bible gives for praise. He has remembered his love. Hmm. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel, all the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. God's faithful love. I love that Suzanne read this or mentioned it in her intercessions this morning with no like communication between the two of us. God's faithful love. This is how he reveals himself to the people of Israel. Remember Moses? He's like, God, I need to know more about you. You seem like a pretty phenomenal kind of being Can you show me some more? Like, who are you? What are you like? In Exodus 34, have we got that? The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. All right? So this is not not some kind of secondary, secondhand account or someone's speculation about what God is like. This is God saying who he is. The Lord. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion and sin. So God, what are you like? He's like that. And suddenly you've got to tear up all of the caricatures of God that you've got in your mind and heart. All the fears you have about God being quick to anger and really, honestly lacking in faithful love. The God who doesn't forgive, but punishes iniquity, rebellion, and sin, right? All of those fears that we have about a God who sits in the sky with thunderbolts waiting to knock us down. Those are caricatures that we have drawn. Moses asks him, him, he himself, The I am, the one who just is, and he says, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, faithful love. I don't know much Hebrew, but I know that word. It's all through the Hebrew Bible. It's like at the very center of the Old Testament in some ways, and it's the word hesed, hesed. The way I was taught it, you've got to do it with the Hebrew accent, so it's Chesed, chesed, ch- So you got it's like a furball thing. Do we have any people from the Middle East here today? You normally do. They're all back in the Middle East for the holidays? Okay, we'll get them, we'll get them back. Um, chesed, chesed, Yeah, unfailing, never-ending, loyal love. unfailing, never-ending, loyal love. That's God's faithful love, covenant-keeping love. And that's the kind of love that the psalmist says, that's the kind of love God has for Israel. Have you read about those guys? They were the worst, the worst. Like it's enough to make us feel good about ourselves in this place, and you know what we're like. They were the worst, the people of Israel, so unfaithful to God so wayward, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And yet God pursues and pursues and pursues with faithful love. And so the psalmist says, there's some more reasons, even if he'd never done any of the miracles that come to mind. Even if he didn't give you scotch feel at stake. Like just his faithfulness to you his not giving up on you is enough to make you sing and want to sing a new song. God has revealed, he says, revealed that faithfulness to the ends of the earth. We talked about this at Christmas, remember? We had kind of like one kind of anchor verse that we looked at. Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day, the question was, how has God shown us that he loves us? And this is an insight that this guy didn't even have, right? We're, we've got way more evidence for praise than these guys had. This evidence was given to us by one of Jesus' best friends. It's John again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atoning sacrifice. That's one of the really cool and very rare English theological terms. It just means at one atoning, at one. God made us one with himself, where we were separated, where we were his enemy, where there was like a, a chasm between us that could never be breached or bridged by any amount of goodness. God sent his son to be the at one sacrifice. So this is how God reveals his love to us. If they had reason to sing this with trumpets, then we've got so much more. We've got Jesus. We've got God's revelation of himself, God's revelation of his love to praise him for. Every time that God said to his people in the old covenant, I have hesed for you, I have I don't know if he did it in the Middle East. Probably, I guess he did. I have chesed, chesed for you. I have that for you. I'm never going to give up on you. I'm always going to pursue you. Whenever he said that to them, he was making a promise to them. And God always keeps his promises. And again, they had reason to believe that because evidence, the evidence of history is that God just kept pursuing them even though they were terrible. We have even more evidence because all of God's promises to those old covenant people, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, all of those promises have their yes in Jesus. Check out the second letter. To the Corinthians from Paul, he says, every one, really? Like all of them? All of the old covenant promises? Every one of God's promises is yes in him, in Jesus. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. Past. Then he's going to take him to the future. All right, so skip over to verse 7 to 9. It says, looking into like the restoration of all things. We love talking about that at this church. You might be new, so you've got some catching up to do, but just about every week we'll tell you about the restoration of all things. This is when Jesus comes again and makes everything that's wrong, he makes it right. Everything that's out of place, he puts it into place. Everything that's evil, He stamps it out and turns it all for good. So at the restoration of all things, let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. (laughs) Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the people's Fairly. So God's covenant love, his faithful love, his Hesed love, His salvation, His redemption, all of this, it's not just relational, it is that, right? It's it's between me and Him, it's personal. He loves me, He loves you. It's not but it's not just relational or personal, it's creational. I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now. All right, it's creational. We in the in Western civilization, because we are so individualistic, and my whole life is about me and my feelings and my needs and my desires. We have made an individualistic gospel where there never was one in the book. All right, so now we say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and that's true, but it's very limited, like. It's a shock to us to learn this, but the world consists of more than me. The world that God made is everything that there is. All things were made by him and for him. And so this this hope, this reason for praise extends into this future Restoration of all things where the whole world will praise God together. Now, I know that not many of us probably are like a crazy, you know, like nature conservationist like me, and you guys look like out the side of your head at me like I'm a bit weird, but at least if you're a Christian, you need to be a nature lover. Because in the same way that like if you turn up into a church you've never been to, or maybe you've been overseas to a church and you can't even understand the language, but you see people praising and worshipping God together, there is this love that exists between you that you can't contrive, it just is, right? Because they worship the God that you worship and love the God that you love. Well, that extends to nature. Nature praises. The, the, The heavens declare the glory of God. And and the creation itself is engineered, it is created, it um, it it is written into existence to praise God. And it's going to. It does now, but it's kind of muffled. You can't hear it very well. You can't see it very well. There will be a time that comes where it will be released from bondage and it will praise God in, in this way. It will, it will, it will the, the rivers will clap their hands. The mountains will shout together for joy. The sea, even the sea that the people of Israel, this desert dwelling people, that they feared the sea, they, 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 they were haunted by the sea, even they can say the sea itself is going to be full of praise, honor. You get this in Romans 8, right? Let me take you back. We did the whole series in Romans 8, maybe, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Here's what, he, what, what Paul says about the creation. The creation, just think about the world, like the, the, the earth that you're standing on now. The creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed, right? That's the, the, the second coming of Jesus. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, But because of him, because God subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children it 's a complex passage, but the point is creation is like singing praises to God, but it 's got a sore throat and it's got, it's, one of its lungs is collapsed, and it 's smoked all of its life, and it 's struggling to do it, but it is but it's, but it 's hoping for the day where it 's going to be given a new body to praise God forever, unbound, I was out in with my family out in the Yarra Valley yesterday for the whole day, and there are a few places more beautiful to me. Just rolling hills and vineyards and mountains in the background and rivers, and it's just delightful. And that place, in all of its beauty, is a shadow of what God intends it to be. That place which praises God in its beauty and its produce, its wine, and its Lamb and it's, you know, fish and whatever is aching, aching, groaning for the day where it will be set free. And he says that's reason to praise God too. The anticipation of joining in with mountains to praise God, good evidence to praise Him now. There is one little footnote a little asterisk on this this kind of very hopeful passage and uh, it's that thing about judgment that part that I was tempted just to sort of skip over because it kind of does come in a little bit kind of out of place at the end there if you have a disposition towards thinking about God's judgment as something to be feared something to be embarrassed about maybe then you might want to skip over that as well a little bit unnerving, verse 9. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. I found it helpful to um, as I was reading up on this passage I came across this quote. I'll just, I'll just read it to you because I can't say it any better. It's from a guy named, I think, Robert Davidson. Yeah. He says, judgment here in this verse 9 does not mean merely condemning the world for its evil and corruption. It means saying no to all that threatens to destroy the world of God's creating, but saying yes to all that will lead to it finding its true purpose and peace. It means putting the world right again. That's what God's coming judgment is all about. No, no more darkness no more sin, no more suffering, yes, to everything that God's creation is meant to be in full flourishing and flowering. That's what God's judgment is all about. The the fact remains, though, that he's coming to judge the earth and I'm part of that that he's going to judge. I'm part of that creation. And he's going to judge the world righteously, which is my problem, okay? If he was judging the world as a kind of corrupt government official, then I could position myself in such a way to be the beneficiary rather than the one being condemned. But it says he's going to judge the world righteously. That means perfectly, it means he can't be bribed, can't be manipulated. He's going to judge the world righteously and fairly, and fairly is a positive term until we apply it to the judgment of me. Because if God judges me fairly, I am, to be honest, screwed. Like even just from this past week's behavior, let alone 41 years of living like a Like me. If God is coming to judge the world with righteousness and even with fairness, then I am in so much trouble. And this is where the gospel of Jesus is such good news. If you don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, or if you have not for some time considered it and just how good it is, let me just read two verses for you that should give you everything you need. From Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, he gives us a whole lot of bad news and a whole lot of good news. He says, all, hate that word all. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which immediately pulls the rug out from my first defense. Because my first defense is, at least I'm not like that guy. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We were created in God's image, uniquely above all else in creation. Human beings made in his image, made to reflect his glory. I'm meant to look like God. I'm meant to be a picture of God like Jesus was in its fullness and perfection. I'm meant to look like that all of the time, and not just when I'm speaking up the front at church, but in the dark moments, behind closed doors. And Paul looks at me and says, yep, you're like everyone else. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he says, without even missing a beat, he doesn't even start a new sentence. He's just straight into the good news. They are justified. That means made right, made righteous, made 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 not guilty or made good freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption means buying someone out of slavery. It means buying someone out of prison. It means buying someone out of hell. That comes through what Jesus has already done for us. You might have picked up in that old language of the liturgy of the communion service. I said about three times. I talked about Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Perfect, sufficient sacrifice. That job has been done. So yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but yet, amazingly, insanely, they are also justified freely by His grace by his gift, through what he's already done, the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. So yes, God is coming to judge the world. But thanks be to God, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can enjoy restoration rather than suffer condemnation. So we praise him for the past, we praise him for the future, and we praise him in the here and the now. Isaac Watts read this psalm, Psalm 98, and he was like, i got to praise God. And so he wrote, joy to the world. Which is just like, by the way, if you want to sell a best-selling song, like if you want to write a... Josh... If you want to write a best-selling Christian song, just rip off the Psalms. It's a bit like it's already there. You reword it a bit, and then you've got Joy to the World, and it's the, one of the most famous songs of all time. He didn't write it as a Christmas song. It was just a hymn to be sung in church. We tend to sing it most of all at the end of the year, but he was just inspired by these words. Let heaven and nature sing. And then he gets to the judging bit. He rules the world with truth and grace it's truth and grace it's righteous judgment and its forgiveness and he wrote it so that we would have an expression of praise for the here and the now the here and the now this is where i want to land because it's the only time that we have to deal with verse 4 to 6 let the whole earth shout to the lord be jubilant Shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and melodious song, with trumpets and blasts of the ram's horn. Shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. In some ways, this is the hardest thing to grapple with. You can look back at what God's done and find evidence to praise Him. You look forward to that glorious future, and you almost can't help but praise God for it and yearn for it. But now, what about right now? Like, how do I, how do I take this moment—the only one that I actually tangibly have? How do I, how do I use it now for the glory of God? How do I turn this breath? into praise the present is where God's presence overlaps with our presence it's the most important sphere in which we operate it's the most important sphere of time in which we decide whether we praise or whether we turn inwardly and feast for our own gain so i love it he says verse six you know seeing trumpets all that shouts finally in the presence of the lord our king you are now right now in god's presence and his presence is in you so you have all of the reasons in the world to stand up in like two minutes time and praise him and i don't mean the anglican like And then this thing. Which, like, you're just pulling Satan out of your pocket. Okay, yeah. It was was the FA Cup overnight. I don't know if Liverpool won, actually, so just give me a second here. No, seriously, yeah. God is overruling me. Look at that. Blank screen, (laughs) spinning wheel of death, okay, put it away. Whether you see something on the screen or not, distraction. Distraction is, um, oh man, like poison. You know, you know, you're like you, if you get a leech on you, you put salt on it, and it just get, it shrivels up and dies. That's what distraction is to worship. Yeah. What was I talking about? Praising God in the present, right? Shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King, and not like the not like the subdued, bored. but the shout for joy and sing and trumpets and lyres and and, and everything you have that could make some noise. You sing like that because God is good and his faithful love endures forever. We have more reason for it than they did. So I'm going to call you to worship. Worship. I don't have to say anything more than what we've heard from God's word. Psalm 98 is a call and I want you to respond. If the spirit of God dwells within you and you know what Christ has done on your behalf, then stand with me. Stand up now. We're going to prime our hearts. Prime our hearts to praise him in spirit And in truth, we need you, Lord. Let's call on God. We need you, Lord. We are those who fall short of the glory of God. We are those who spend the week wandering from your ways. We are those who are distracted and bored. We are those who are carrying grudges and unforgiveness and bitterness. And so we need you by the power of your spirit to stir us up forgive us for being boring forgive us for being mediocre in our praise forgive us for turning inward when we should turn outward and upward to see your glory on display you are good and you are great and we praise you and thank you for all that you've done for us all that you're going to do for us and all that you're doing even now in our presence, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to praise God together. Let's see.